You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. Do, do not eat eat kosher is a very grievous sin. But Daniel now, under the penalty of death, I want you to understand something. He doesn't get to select his menu while he is in captivity, um, ready to serve the king in the king's court. He doesn't get a menu to select what he wants to eat. He was designated to eat a portion of the king's meat and to drink certain wines that came from the king's table. This was the greatest privilege any person could ask for in Babylon, for the king to share his food with servants that have been captured and now made his slaves in Egypt and in um in Babylon. But Daniel, under the penalty and possibility of dying, of, of, uh, under the penalty of death, made a choice. And that choice was that he would not defile himself. So what Daniel did is Daniel bravely initiated and already decided, if I die, I die, but I'm not going to eat non-kosher food. If I die, I die. So bravely he went to the prince of the eunuchs and he requested. He's going to be there three years, the book of Daniel tells us. He's not there for a couple of weeks. He's not there for a few months. He's there under the tutelage of Nebuchadnezzar's high servant to train them to be in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And for someone who's a captive to go to the prince of the eunuchs to request that the food that they ordered is something that he could not eat. He requested, give us pulse to eat. Give us pulse. Now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were in agreement, but they did not, they did not request it. It was Daniel who requested it. And I want you to understand the, that the prince of the eunuchs allowed them he risked his own job, his own life to allow them. They, he allowed them to be tested 10 days. Say this with me, 10 days. This 10 days is a very important component in the book of Revelation because Jesus says you're going to be tested 10 days. So the 10 days is not about a chronological period of time. It's about a supernatural similarity. Touch your neighbor and say supernatural similarities. That means that what... The children, Shadaniah, Mishael, and Azariah went through. It's going to happen. It's going to appear again in the time as we see in the book of Revelation. Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, I know your tribulation. I know all of your labor, and you shall behold. Satan shall cast some of you into prison, and you shall be tested 10 days. So we understand the 10 days are not just 10 days at random. It doesn't just mean that's all you're going to have is 10 days of tribulation. It means the same type of testing that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had for 10 days who chose rather to die than to disobey God, that this is the same kind of testing that's going to come on the church in the last days. 
Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So we need to understand this meaning. And we also need to see that God, the Lord is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The same way John was rewarded with this incredible vision. God rewarded John, not just because he was an apostle, because there were many apostles. We have 12. We have the replacement of Judas with Matthias. And we do not have the record of any other apostles, not even Paul, who was not one of the 12, but was an apostle to the Gentiles. We don't have a record of any other apostle having visions this much. We don't have the record of any other apostles being able to see the things that John saw. We're not saying they didn't, but there's no biblical record to prove it. But what we do need to see is that John being persecuted is now being rewarded with these visions. That God is now giving him supernatural visions and insight to something very similar to what John is going through. You see, God will take your experience. God will take what you've been through. Everything that you've been through is for a purpose. Everything you've been through is going to be used for the glory of God. The God that we serve is a God that brings destiny out of our darkness. The God that we serve uses all of the things, all of the tribulation, all of the testings that we have been through. He uses that as the material to manufacture our ministry. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. And the same thing is going to happen now to John. God is using John's persecution to manufacture a message. Because this persecution is what's going to qualify him. He's not just qualified because he's an apostle. He's qualified because he went through something for the gospel. And now God is going to use the, the testings. As an old man sentenced to the island of Patmos when he's in his 90s, going to Patmos to a labor camp for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, being rewarded, knowing that what he's going through is now going to be a message. It's the material God's going to use for his prophetic message because it's truth. You see, truth works in many ways. One of the ways truth works in us is fire because truth and fire, remember, truth has the substance of fire. Jesus had eyes that were lamps, flames of fire. So there is an element of truth that comes when the saints of God are tested. Their experiences when they stand and they don't fall and they're steadfast. There is a deposit of glory and truth that God will use as substance to bring their credentials of ministry to another place. And so we see that John's experience 
is now going to be an experience for the seven churches, but it is also going to be an experience that's going to be used for all ages, for all who are going to be tested, and for all who are going to go through tribulation. And the same thing with Daniel. If you look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, after Daniel had the bravery to stand up to the prince of the eunuchs, the Bible says, as, the, as for these four children, Daniel chapter, chapter 1, verse 17, as we look at it, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. But now watch this. But Daniel, he's getting an extra, an extra ruach, an extra attribute. Daniel is going to have a more excellent anointing because he's the one who was brave enough to go to the prince of the eunuchs. It was a reward that God was giving Daniel for not compromising and initiating that his brothers and that he would we rather die than be defiled by eating what God had not commanded in his word to the Jewish people. Bible says, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, I want you to understand why this is so significant. Because the first six books in Daniel are a series of events that take place between Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, and also the testings and other kings that he served under, and the testings of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are their Babylonian names. They were formerly known as Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And, and so we understand that this, these visions now that he's going to have do not begin in the first six books. The visions begin in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is going to have a series of visions, and the visions are going to be very similar. It's a very similar circumstance, very similar situation to what he went through in the palace when he refused to eat the portion of the king's meat and defile himself. And the first vision is a vision of four different beasts that are going to appear and war against the saints of God. They're going to appear in four different eras. No, the battles that he's going to see are not military in nature. The battles that he's going to prophesy and the nations that are going to conquer nations in his vision have nothing to do in the night visions, not in the earlier parts, not in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but in Daniel's dream. Remember, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream that have political and military um, significance throughout the ages. But Daniel's dreams are not the same genre as we see in the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. The dreams of Daniel are going to be concerning nations conquering nations, but certain kings that arise in the nations that are going to cause wars with the saints of God. 
they're not going to be military wars. They're going to be wars to wear out the saints of God. They're going to be attacks against the saints of God in every generation. And particularly, John, um, uh, Daniel is going to see in Daniel chapter 8, he is going to see a king arise after perfectly articulating Alexander the Great and his rule over the world and the four generals of Alexander the Great. He is going to particularly see the fourth general by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's going to see him march into the Holy Land. And this is the focus of his dream. And this is what the whole battle of Hanukkah is all about. Hanukkah is represented by the menorah, and we need to understand the victory of the menorah and how the menorah appears in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Why does it appear? Because it is a symbol of the church, because what they went through in the time of the Maccabean revolt is the same thing that the saints of God are going to go through in the end times and in every age. Put your hand up right now and say, I claim the victory to never defect from the faith, to remain faithful to my God to the end. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. Particularly in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, he was on, he was on an obsessive, an obsessive, overwhelming, uh, um, just itinerary to completely destroy the Jewish people, not in the sense of genocide. He was not like Haman, who wanted to just wipe them out. His agenda was to destroy them another way. His agenda was to destroy their faith. His agenda was to make them renounce the God of Israel and to accept the secularization of every Jew that lived in the Holy Land and to renounce God, to renounce the rule and reign of God. Therefore, he started a brutal persecution against the Jewish people. And that brutal persecution was the burning of synagogues. It was the burning of Torah scrolls. It was the, it was the um, murder of Jews who refused to renounce God. To, uh, the the, the um, assassination of many Jews who refused to cooperate with his agenda, and therefore, therefore, um, the war that was taking place through Antiochus Epiphanes was not a political war, it was a religious war. And finally, those who said we're not going to agree with Antiochus Epiphanes, we're not going to allow him to make us um, commit sins against our God and to blaspheme against our God, we're going to stand with God. They started a war, and it is called the Maccabean Revolt. And they um, took back territory in the Holy Land that had been defiled, particularly the temple that had been defiled by Antiochus Epiphanes, and they took the temple back and they rededicated it 
back to God. So put your hands up right now and say, Lord, we're going to take back the temple. We're going to drive out all idols out of our own temple, and we're going to drive out anything that is not of God in the temple of God. We're going to reclaim territory in the church that's been defiled and secularized in the mighty name of Jesus, and we're going to bring back the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of God into the house of God. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to praise the Lord. All right, so we see this very clearly in the, um, the mystery, the first mystery of the menorah, the second messianic mystery of the menorah that we need to understand is that the menorah, which is the sign of victory that they took back the temple, because in those days there was no holy of holies. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant was already missing. It was taken in the days of Jeremiah. So the only, the primary holiest thing in the temple was the menorah. But the menorah was destroyed by Antiochus Epiphanes. So they rebuilt another menorah. But they only had one day's worth of oil. And in order to rededicate the temple, the menorah had to be lit. And in order for that to be lit, it meant it took one day to make the oil, but it took eight days for them to prepare everything that was necessary in order for the full lights to be lit again. And they only had one day's worth of oil. So we need to understand that the oil that lasted was not just seven days, but it was eight days. And this is another sign, messianic symbol. It is another messianic symbol of the presence of God in the temple. And that messianic symbol of the presence of God in the temple is that. That seven represents that which is of this world. But eight represents not of this world. And eight represents the symbols of the spirit that are not of this world. How do we know? Because the day that the temple or the tabernacle was dedicated originally, Moses calls it the eighth day. And on that eighth day, for the first time, heaven came down to earth and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle on the eighth day. On the eighth day, fire fell from heaven, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23 tells us. And for the first time, holy fire came into the temple. The eight days of Hanukkah represent the anointing and the holy supernatural signs of the spirit that are going to be given to the remnant church, the church that's faithful, the church that will not compromise, the end time revival that is coming with signs, wonders, and miracles that is going to be seen in the church, signs that are not of this world. Can I get a witness somewhere? And the third and final messianic mystery that I want to share with you concerning the mystery of the menorah is the way the menorah is actually made. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, if you will go to it in the 12th chapter in the 11th verse. In the 12th chapter in the 11th verse in the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us we see that there was a war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels, the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that victory was given because the dragon made war against the seed of the Most High God, the seed of, of the woman, which represents the church. And so we need to also see that the, the scripture is going to tell us in verse 11, a very powerful way that they overcame the wicked one. And the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto the death. What does this mean? This means that all three of these entities are supernatural ways of defeating demonic forces of the end times. These are supernatural means by arresting the powers of darkness that the scripture tells us. The first one is the blood of the lamb. We all know that the blood is a terror to demons because the blood defeated the demons. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ took captivity captive, that having spoiled all principalities and powers, he ascended on high. And that now we know that all power is given unto him in heaven and earth. He didn't have to do this, but he defeated it. All right. But we also need to see a messianic mystery in the menorah itself. The Bible tells us in Exodus 25 how the menorah is to be made. The menorah has a very special architectural design. Moses saw all of the furnishings in the temple through the spirit. And each one of the furnishings have messianic mysteries behind them. And particularly the menorah has a messianic mystery. And this is why God chose it to be the symbol of victory. The Bible tells us very specifically, if we go over to Exodus chapter 25, I want you to see this before we close. Sometimes we say, how boring could this be about the way certain things were made? I want you to know everything in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. That there is nothing in God's word that is not relevant to salvation that is not personal, powerful, prophetic for your life today. If it sounds like it's boring, it's because we don't understand it. So today I'm going to show you from Exodus chapter 25 the messianic mysteries behind the menorah. First we're going to see in Exodus 25, Moses goes through tremendous detail to tell the architect, Bezalel, how each item is to be made that is the four major items, which is the Holy of Holies, the menorah, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And every one of these entities except the menorah are to be made with pure gold and they're to be formed out of a mold. In other words, the gold is melted down, it's pure gold, and it is to be made, the, the Ark of the Covenant is to be made one way, table of showbread. And basically, 
the architectural design, though its structure may vary in terms of size and in terms of dimensions, the substance is basically going to be the same. However, the menorah is quite different. Moses received the revelation that it cannot be pure gold taken from a mold. And the branches or the pipes that are in the menorah are not to be called pipes. In the book of Zechariah, the fourth chapter, the pipes in the menorah are called pipes. But in Exodus, they are not called pipes. In Exodus, they are called branches. He's using tree language. So that the menorah is now going to have the description of a tree. This is done very deliberately. And Moses gives the instruction, you cannot use a mold melted down gold. He says, if you look at Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25 verse 31 says, you will make a candlestick, a pure gold, meaning the menorah, of beaten work, shall the candlestick be made. So we need to understand that Moses had to pound it. He had to pound the gold and shape the branches, pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. And the look of it is to be like a tree. So that we will understand the messianic mystery behind the menorah and the victory that is obtained and how the menorah is a sign of Maccabean victory. We will understand that the menorah is a sign of messianic victory through the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ who was beaten, pounded, pounded, and pounded on the cross, which is also known as the tree. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So the word tree is synonymous with the cross. So that we understand the way that we overcome the enemy is knowledge of the cross. It is through knowledge of the blood. It is through the passion of our Lord. It is through understanding the scriptures and understanding the work of the cross the doctrine of the cross because the cross is what defeated the enemy. Can I get a witness somewhere? They overcame him through the blood of the lamb and through the word of their testimony. Not like, let me show you my testimony. No, it's a little different than that. John tells us, I was in the island of Patmos for the testimony. The testimony means how you give witness through your persecution. The word witness in the Greek language 
is the same word as martyr. Doesn't mean you have to die like the Christians in Syria, the Christians in Sudan, the Christians in Ethiopia, the Christians in Iraq, Christians in Lebanon, the Christians in Pakistan, the Christians in India, the Christians in the People's Republic of China, the Christians in North Korea, the Christians in Egypt, or the Christians in any persecuted nation. But it does mean in the early church to give witness did not just mean to tell only. It meant what form of life and what form of death you were going to give God the glory through your giving of yourself for the kingdom. Because the witness meant there's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles that are going to take place around your witness. And this is why even, even in the life of Papa Richard Rumbrandt, we see so many miracles. It's a miracle that he just lived through the 14 years that he was in solitary confinement and arrested and beaten and tortured for Christ. I know this doesn't sound popular and it sounds like a boring message and we don't want to hear it, but it's the reality. of the, It's the truth. So now, as we enter in to this season of Hanukkah, and we understand the mystery of the menorah. This is a time that the Lord is saying victory for your battles. This is a time that God is promising you will overcome. This is a time that the Lord is promising that no matter what principality, what power, what wickedness comes against you, your family, your children, you are going to overcome through the blood of the lamb, through the word of your testimony, and that you love not your life unto the death. This is the hour God is going to be rewarding his faithful church with, with signs, wonders, and miracles such as you have never seen before. You are going to be operating in the gifts of the spirit. God is going to be using your experiences as the prophetic material to manufacture your dream. So give God the praise and the glory. Stand to your feet tonight and raise your hands toward heaven. Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.